Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Well, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Actually, today's conversation is going to be the first of two conversations. Um, Jim and I felt that this topic deserves a little bit more depth than a single episode normally um, affords us. So what we're going to do, well, what Jim's going to do, is bravely go where angels fear to tread, and that is to the realm of politics. Now, I imagine some of you probably just turned up the volume, whereas others of you are already feeling uncomfortable. I think between the two of us, Jim's probably with those of you who fall in the former category, whereas I'm definitely in the uncomfortable zone with the rest of you. Um, But anyways, today, let's talk about Christians and politics. And then next week, I want to zoom out and talk about Christians and government. So you ready for this, Jim? I think so. (laughs) Okay, let's jump in. So here's my first question. Who should I vote for? (laughs) I'm just kidding. But here's the real question. As we approach what is traditionally, I'd say, a volatile topic, what kind of advice or perhaps prayer would you offer so that this could be a productive and even helpful conversation rather than a decisive one? I'm not saying that we're about to get combative, but I'm even thinking more of like our listeners who are inevitably at some point going to get sucked into a conversation on politics. What might they want to remind themselves of before diving in headfirst? Well, that actually is a good way to start because, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky time. I can tell you that I have never seen our world uh, like it is now, at least not since the 1960s, uh, so divided and so partisan and, and um, so uncivil, so political and not in the best sense of the word, but in the worst. And uh, for those of us who follow Christ and for those who want to know what following Christ would mean politically, we do need to get back to some biblical roots uh, because it's ultimately it, it's ultimately not about who you vote for. Um, it's not about which party you align with. Uh, it's not about where you stand on any given issue or, or policy. It's ultimately about having the heart of God and the mind of God toward all of life, which includes the political. Uh, I remember when I did a series on politics at Mech, uh, I began by challenging all of us to be the kind of church that could do a series on politics and come out on the other side in one piece. You know, I, I remember I said something like this. Let me, let me tell you how, I, I, how I, I taught everybody. I said, look, can we talk politics and come out on the other end as brothers and sisters and family and friends? Can, can you be part of a church where your pastor tries to teach what the Bible says about church and state and political involvement and the role of Caesar and when we should reject civil authority and when we should not, uh, without ever naming a candidate uh, to vote for or a party to embrace, teaching in a way that is going to step on the toes of Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and progressives, because the Bible does. All in the name of Jesus, can you let me do that as clearly as I know how without giving into a cancel culture or 
partisanship or divisiveness. And I remember saying, I believe we can. I believe we can, which is why I'm, I'm going to tackle this series. And we actually did call it where angels fear to tread. Um, but I, I remember I did. I just I just praised him. I said, look, I don't believe, you know, you're a small person. I don't believe you have a small mind. I don't believe you have a small heart with very little maturity. I think we're able to do this. Uh, we're relationally healthy enough as a church and we're intellectually robust enough and we're personally sane enough to go where angels fear to tread. I think we're bigger and better. Uh, than what's taking place in mainstream media and social media. So, you know, let's give it a go. And we did. And it was so, so healthy and good as we kind of fought against ideology being over theology. And we said, no, let's put theology and then we can talk about the other stuff. Yeah, that was so good. I remember being a part of that series, um, just listening to that. And it, it did. It just, it, it just like calmed the room like everybody just collectively I mean either in person or online just kind of like took a sigh of relief of like oh yeah okay like let's think level-headedly about this and not defensively or react re reactively and mm -hmm. yeah, that was really helpful so I'm glad that we started that way now this my next question might seem a little odd but I guess I'm just asking like do politics even matter and then I'm sure they matter but for the Christian of whom the Bible says is you know a sojourner to this world how much should politics actually matter to a Christian yes we're sojourners but that's that's but we're sojourning for a, a reason mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, we're here for a reason politics really do matter uh, because culture matters because the world matters. Uh, we're citizens in this world, and the Bible says that as citizens, we have a duty uh, to the world in which we live. You know, one of the key teachings that I've always come back to with this was Jesus' use of salt and light as a metaphor for uh, the Christian life, how we're to be. And, and what he was talking about was I, you, you are to be people of influence in this culture. We're to be those people by becoming salt and of the earth and light of the world. And those are very important metaphors that it would be easy to kind of just kind of say, oh, yeah, salt and light, kind of be glib about it and move on and not really realize the depth of what he said and the power and the potency of what he said. In Jesus' day, so let me let me chase that if I can. In Jesus' day, salt was one of the most useful and important elements you could possess, but it wasn't because of what it did for the taste of food like we use salt today. It wasn't a seasoning. Uh, that wasn't salt's primary use in, in that time. Then it was as a preservative. Uh, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers or wrappings or anything like that. You couldn't buy things in cans. So they used salt to keep their food from spoiling. So, for example, let's say you had a piece of meat or fish that you couldn't eat right away. Well, you would take some salt and you would carefully rub that salt in. And that salt, if rubbed in in an appropriate, correct way, would keep the meat from decay. Uh, it would keep it from going bad. So when Jesus said, that we are to live a life that is like being salt to the earth. He meant that we should live life in such a way that our very presence in the world acts like salt uh, because left to itself, the world would decay. Uh, and then Jesus went on to say, and be the light of the world. Letting our light shine is letting what Christ is doing in our life and the truth about what Christ wants to do in everybody's life be known. So the light is the message of Christ. And the message of Christ is that he came into the world to show us a way to live, to provide the means for us to be in a right relationship with him. 
So you can think of it this way. Salt is a negative influence, meaning that it works against something, whereas light is a positive influence, meaning it is trying to bring something to bear onto the matter. Both are needed for influence. We work against moral and cultural decay, and then we work for truth. And and work is a, is a good word there because we are to be salt and light actively and intentionally. It's as if Jesus is saying, you and you only can play your part in this world as against moral decay. You and you alone can shine the light where you are. Um, there is a salt, there is a light that only those who are followers of Christ can bring because his truth, his values, his mission is unique to all the world. Um, John Stott once put it, you know, paraphrasing him, he says, he said, one can hardly blame meat for going bad. That's just, it's going to go bad. It can't do anything else but go bad. The real question with meat that has rotted is where was the salt? Mm. Uh, if you're a Christ follower, you're the salt and you're the light. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, you know, he ups the ante further as those familiar with the passage. No, he said, and if the salt loses its saltiness, oh my goodness, it's of absolutely no use. No use. If the light doesn't shine, it makes no sense. Um, and yet that's where a lot of Christ followers find themselves. Hmm. There, there was a, uh, a historian, he's um, a late historian named Daniel J. Borston. And he once made note of how millions of Americans just sit, and in his day it was TV and not just an online computer screen, but would sit in front of their TV when they could be participants. Mm -hmm. And yet they don't, they, they're, they're not participants. He said, and he says, that's the great temptation of our day to become spectators. And we see so much every day on the screen of catastrophes that we can do nothing about and floods and fires and kidnappings and terrorist attacks and starvation and corruption that we make these very, the, the, the prototypes of experience, uh, a world to be looked at, entertained by, alarmed or shocked by, but not a world to act in. Hmm. Uh, the challenge of Jesus is the opposite, act. Be salt, be light. And that obviously includes involvement in politics. I mean, you're a citizen of, I mean, those who are watching this from the United States, I, I no insult, but I would say we live in one of, if not the greatest country on the planet uh, with freedoms that are almost scandalous in the world's eyes. Mm -hmm. Freedoms that others have died to enable us to enjoy. Uh, one of those great freedoms is the ability to be involved in and engaged with the political activity, the, the governance of our nation for the glory of God as salt and light. And so that's not to be abdicated. Well, have you ever heard people respond, though, to that call? You know, the call either to be involved in politics in general or to vote by saying, well, why bother? Like God's going to put into power who he wants to put into power. Um, or if I'm, I'm sure you've heard that, but if you haven't, like, how would you respond to that? Yeah. I, you know, I, I would have to show great restraint because I've, ne I have very little patience for that, that very weak, even warped theology. Um, I will get asked though, uh, from time to time, you know, whether Christians should even vote a mess with politics, bother, and they do. They say something like, well, why bother? You know, God's going to do what God's going to do. And you'll even hear people say that about prayer. God's going to do what God's going to do. Why pray? And I just have to remind them. I said, well, okay, 
But what God has willed is to take your prayers into account. Hmm. And if, if, if there is no salt or light, God tends to allow those nations to fall into decay and cycles of decay that they didn't have to fall into. I mean, in other words, you're, there's, you forget what, what God has willed is for us to have some freedom of choice in the matter. And, and it didn't have to be that way. Um, so anyway, I think it's a terribly passive approach to civic engagement. You just will not find it supported in scripture. Um, and even more maddening is when they say, well, what difference does my one vote make? Which A, historically, <laughs> you look at all these elections, but you can go and Google elections lost by one vote. Yeah. You know, and, and, but even more to the point, even if you feel like your, your vote doesn't matter when it does, it has nothing to do, that has nothing to do with fulfilling our responsibility as Christian citizens. So let me put it as clearly as I know how. Um, for a Christian, it would be unconscionable not to be engaged in politics, at least at the most elemental level, which is exercise your freedom <coughs> and your responsibility to vote. It would be abdicating our role as salt and light. So here's the bottom line about the Christian in politics. We're to be actively involved in any and every way we can to prevent moral decay and to spread truth. That means Christians can and should pursue vocations in politics and run for office and serve their country and work for legislation. And most certainly, the bare minimum, vote. Um, anything and everything we can do politically to be salt and light should be done that is a biblical mandate from Jesus. Well, let's bracket off involvement in politics on an individual level as a Christian. What about on an institutional level as the church? Like some churches, they steer as far away from politics as absolutely possible. And then others regularly bring up political issues. So I guess I've got two questions here. The first is, are there any official rules or laws for how much a church can engage politics? And then as a follow-up to that, like within those boundaries, those rules, do you have any personal opinions about how much a church should engage politics? Well, let me answer the first. And if I don't get to the second, prompt me. Um, okay. uh, since 1954, this all started in 1954, when then Senator Lyndon Johnson proposed and successfully passed legislation prohibiting nonprofits, including churches, from either opposing or endorsing a candidate, um, which, by the way, a little political history, was after he himself had been opposed by a nonprofit organization. So absolutely no link with that legislation, what they did to him. But since that legislation, churches uh, may not, here, here's, here, are the, here are the handcuffs, here are the rules. Churches cannot directly endorse or support a political candidate, or, I mean, endorse or oppose a political candidate. Uh, the keyword is directly. The church can, uh, no church can officially say, we endorse John Doe or we oppose John Doe. Not only that, but no pastor can send out a personal written endorsement on church letterhead. Uh, political signs cannot be displayed on church property. The only participation in the political process that is allowed is indirect, uh, which means pastors can personally endorse a candidate. Uh, I can tell you who I like uh, in the church parking lot or at the grocery store. And, and, you know, as a part of normal conversation, I'm not robbed of that. I could use my personal blog or Facebook page or X or Instagram account to say whatever I want. 
uh, I just can't do it directly from the podium. As a pastor, I can also personally work for a candidate. I can contribute financially to their campaign without any problem. But the church itself cannot contribute financially with church funds, even if the church membership voted to say, we want to do this. Well, you can't. Um, I can also endorse a candidate in print. And I can use, And then if I do that, I can use my title and I can use my position. Uh, I just can't use official letterhead. Uh, I'm free to speak and teach on every conceivable moral, social issue that may be part of the political debate. Uh, abortion, gay marriage, social justice, Black Lives Matter, uh, sexism, Me Too, the economy, healthcare, immigration, gender identity, any and every issue. Uh, even if by implication, what I teach about it throws support toward one candidate and critiques another, I can still do it. As a church, we can also take official positions on such issues as long as we don't directly endorse or oppose a candidate in the process, which is why you sometimes will hear about churches to having voting guides, but it's just a voting guide on issues. As a church, we can organize voting registrations and drives as long as they are directed at all eligible voters and not toward just one political party. Uh, we can hold forums where candidates are invited to address the issues. Um, if a candidate were to visit our church, uh, I could, if I wanted to, publicly recognize them and introduce them. Uh, we can even hear candidates speak and invite them, uh, host them to speak from our stage. As long as that candidate is not directly endorsed or urges the church to vote for them. Uh, we can distribute nonpartisan, as I mentioned, voter guides, giving information on where each candidate stands on various issues that we deem important. But of course, and of course we can offer, which we have, Mecca's done this, uh, offer our campus as a voting station. So those are the things that we were allowed to do. Um, now, if you're asking me how I feel about that, <laughs> I think it's your second question. Um, I, I don't particularly like it. I, I, I think I think that it's a way of limiting. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there should be I mean, I, I understand that they say, well, if you're going to have nonprofit status, that kind of tax exempt status. But, um, you know, you, you certainly see other organizations that benefit from uh, nonprofit status or they get government support or something like that. And they're certainly inv involved in the political fray. I just I would love to see the church completely unencumbered. Not, not that we would s suddenly get hyper partisan. I just I just don't like. I just don't like that. Hmm. Well, I was even more thinking of more generally, like how a church even approaches political topics, because you said that within the freedom, you can address a whole spectrum of topics that might come up, you know, in a debate or something like that, all of those that you listed. In fact, I, I, I know kind of your stance, you know, anecdotally, because I've been here to listen to you talk about a, a whole score of political issues. So you're certainly, you know, not um, a pastor to to be shy from, you know, tackling some of these, what can be, again, pretty decisive things, which I think is why a lot of churches decide I'm not going to go there because I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to cause drama in the church. I don't want people to leave over things like this. And so can you give for our listeners just a few examples of some political issues that you have tackled at MAC and then, and to maybe for ministry leaders, what types of sensitivities have you had to have in place when preparing those messages? Yeah. 
Well, you know, one of the things that I would, I would say is, is that, you know, there's things that I can say now um, at my age and stage and tenure that, um, you know, maybe, maybe wouldn't have gone over as well 25 years ago at that age and that stage and that length of tenure, you know. So there's something to be said about being the founding and senior pastor of a church for over three decades um, that, you know, I can say things that even other pastors on staff can't say that at least, or at least it'll be accepted from me when it might not be accepted by them. But having said all that, I would say that I, I, so if you're a brand new pastor of a church, you've been there six months, I wouldn't tackle the most controversial issue on the planet right off the bat. But I would say that I tackle cultural issues of which many may have political overtones uh, or are being played out politically. But I try to rise above politics and and teach the biblical truths that are relevant to and most pressing to the most pressing cultural questions of our day. It's it's, it's the cultural stuff I grab onto. Mm. Examples would be everything from issues related to the sanctity of life to gay marriage to creation care to all things gender. Uh, the sensitivities that I have in place are are many. Um, that there are political and ideological dynamics at play in people's minds with this subject. Mm-hmm which means that one of my goals is to address the reality of that while trying to teach on it um, without it seeming to be partisan or ideological or in, you know, in spirit. And, and how I do that is by reminding people many times of certain things. You know, First, that if you're a Christ follower, you are not primarily a Republican or a Democrat, not first and foremost. Uh, you are a Christ follower first and a Republican or a Democrat second, distant second. Um, which for some is a relief because they might be feeling kind of politically homeless anyway. They don't identify with any party. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, maybe they're theologically conservative, but socially, you know, compassionate, or maybe they feel too conservative for the progressives and too progressive for the conservatives, or, uh, maybe they find themselves aligning with issues, um, from both parties, you know, liking some where this party stands on this issue, but not over here. Like maybe, like maybe they care about the sanctity of human life, but they're also concerned with global warming. Um, or, you know, it's okay to feel torn as a Christ follower. In fact, if you don't feel torn, I'd be a little concerned because your allegiance is to Jesus, not a platform. Uh, your ultimate citizenship is not to America, uh, much less to an American party. Your ultimate citizenship is heaven. Uh, and as a follower of Jesus, you're going to find that on some issues, one party has it right. And on other issues, the other party has it right. On a third issue, both parties have it wrong. Uh, and by right or wrong, I mean, do they hold to a biblical position? For example, one party might get creation care and all things environment right in your thinking, while another might get sanctity of life issues right in your thinking. One party might get concern for the working poor right, and others might get matters of sexual morality and gender identity right. One party might get race and social justice right, and other might get issues related to religious freedom right. And, 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 and neither party might be getting issues right related to love and civility and truth-telling and such. And what I really hate is when we've come, come so ideological on a particular issue that even when the Bible clearly speaks to it, because that position is part of another party or tied in with an ideology, it's like, well, I can't even be biblical there. Or if I am, I'm suspect 
or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm a fundamentalist in one person's eyes or woke in somebody else's eyes. And, and it's like it's frustrating when you get labeled when you say, you know, I'm just trying to be biblical. Yeah. Um, so as Christians, we might align with one party. But as Christ followers, we might we must never stand under that party. We always stand over it taking stands for Jesus wherever those stands might lead us. We are never to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to where Jesus would clearly look and see just because it goes against our political party. Um, I remember Martin Luther King once, I thought he put this brilliantly. He says, we are not the master, as Christians, he said, we're not the master of the state or the servant of the state. As Christians, we are the conscience hmm. of the state. And and I, I thought that was was well put. Yeah, very well said. Well, you in part, I think, just answered my last question, but I'm going to ask it directly just in case there's anything else that you want to add to it. But so earlier I was joking with you when I said, you know, who should I vote for? But I think if I'm going to kind of reframe that in a more serious way, I do think that a big struggle for Christians in light of what you just said of how some candidates or parties can get th some things right and other things wrong. Like what kinds of things should a Christian take into consideration then when trying to decide whom to vote for? Well, I would never presume to tell anyone uh, who to vote for specifically, but I can offer some counsel on how to vote when you aren't thrilled with either candidate. <laughs> uh, when you feel you're trying to pick between the lesser of two evils, which I think is how a lot of Americans have felt um, on any number of recent elections, both on the state and the national level. And there's a reason. There's no such thing as a perfect candidate. Um, and for those who say that when it comes to choosing the lesser of two evils, you can't ever choose evil, so we shouldn't vote for either one, are, I believe, misguided. Uh, unless Jesus is on the ballot, <laughs> you know, you're voting for the lesser of two evils, no matter who's running, and you're doing it in every election. That doesn't mean you, you overlook character. Um, it just means that all candidates are going to have character flaws. I do think you need to evaluate character, though, to the degree that so deeply flawed, don't expect them to consistently hold up biblical worldviews. Yeah. Uh, they may have said something just to get elected, but if their character is flawed, then you know, they'll switch away from that in a heartbeat if it isn't flowing from deeply within them. So you still, anyway, you've got to choose and vote. I can also tell you when you make your choice, it's not about whether they're a devoted Christ follower. Um, it'd be nice if more candidates were, but what's critical is where they stand on issues of importance to Christ and culture. Uh, people sometimes forget that when it comes to electing representative, a senator, governor, president, we're not electing a pastor in chief. Um, so what's the key to voting? To think and to vote as a Christian. To not give in to partisan politics, but to give in to Christian reflection. Uh, to vote from a, a deep well of a biblical worldview, uh, to look at the issues and the stands that various parties and candidates have taken and, um, and think Christianly about them and then vote Christianly about them. That's what it means to be salt and light. Uh, but that's exactly what many of us do not do. What we tend to do is to compartmentalize our thinking. And I've talked about this before. A compartmentalized mind is one that separates life into different categories, such as our faith, our job, our family, Facebook, the stock market, and all without any kind of real serious integration. Uh, our thinking about one area never informs our thinking about another. So you can be a Christian, for example, and never reflect on issues in light of your faith. You know, what does it mean to think about the sanctity of human life and, and its ending biblically? What does it mean to think about immigration, biblically? 
Uh, what does it mean to think about issues surrounding gay marriage or gender identity? Biblically. What does it mean to think about the poor? Biblically. Uh, it's stunning how few Christians ever attempt to look at the issues through a biblical lens. They just swallow an entire platform, left or right, uncritically, and then hold to it with evangelistic zeal. But that is putting party ahead of Jesus. I remember reading a study that came out of Lifeway Research uh, during the election cycle back in 2016, I believe it was. It found that only one out of every 10 Christians said the Bible shaped their political views. Now think about that. Only one out of every 10 Christians said the Bible shaped their political views. Uh, the vast majority, 90%, said they were influenced by friends or media, their party, um, that kind of thing. Now, don't get me wrong. You, you can have two Christians agree on the values of the Christian faith, but disagree on how best to flush them out uh, to get to the biblical goal legislatively. And uh, But to only have one in 10 bother to find out what those values are is unthinkable. We, we've just got to work toward having a Christian worldview. And worldview, that is such an important word. Your worldview is a set of ideas by which you judge other ideas. It's how you change of human thought and creation from a Christian perspective. Uh, for example, if you were to think of the question, where did we come from? Pretty basic foundational question. Uh, it, it's key to a Christian worldview, how you answer that. Because there's just a limited number of answers at our disposal. Uh, you can say, well, we came about by chance. That's a naturalistic contention. You can say, well, we don't even really exist, which might be a Hindu response. Um, you can say we were spoken into existence by a creator. See, the Christian gives a very different answer because of a Christian worldview. Uh, the, the answer, where did we come from, gives a foundation for thinking that no other answer gives. Uh, when we would say that we were spoken into existence by the living God, we were created by the creator. And because we were created, there's value in every single human being. There is meaning and purpose to every life. There is someone outside of our existence who stands over it as authority, which means there's transcendent truth. And on and on it goes in terms of the implications of even answering that one question. And that changes everything because then that means truth is not something I create for myself, but it is something discovered. Truth is given to us. It is not determined by us. Okay, that alone blows apart so much cultural thinking and gives clarity to so many cultural issues. You know, I mentioned Martin Luther King earlier. Um, and we can have all kinds of disagreements about his various political views. I certainly am not a wholesale embracer of everything that he held to politically, I, even though I admire him as a human being in terms of his stands with uh, social justice issues. But his Christian faith, his worldview was everything in challenging racial discrimination and segregation. Because the answer for him, where did we come from, was we were spoken into existence by God. And because of that worldview, he could write that amazing letter that he wrote from the Birmingham jail. And if you've never read letter from Birmingham jail, it's, it's very short. It's well worth a read, but he, he goes into it. He says, you know, there's two types of law. He says, there's just, and there's unjust. And he says, a just is a man-made law that squares with the moral law or will of God. That's what makes it just. It corresponds with God's morality, God's law, God's truth. An unjust law, is any law or code that is out of harmony with the moral law of God. And he says, that's why segregation statutes are unjust. They go against the law of God. 
And that was his basis. He appealed to that. He laid claim to a law above man's law. No other worldview would have given Cain the basis for such a claim. And from that, he was obviously able to be salt and light in a day and time that needed it. And that's God's call on our life. Be political, be deeply political, be passionately political, but as salt and light, not as a partisan player. Um, hold fast to the idea that if you're a Christ follower, you are a Christ follower first and a Republican or Democrat second. The goal is to develop a biblical worldview by which to engage all things and to follow that worldview. And as you vote, you'll be evaluating which one you think upholds the biblical worldview best and the most compelling aspects of a biblical worldview. Because again, whoever it is, they're going to get some things right, and they're going to get some things wrong, and they're both going to get things right or wrong. You're just going to have to walk through it first and foremost as a Christian as you vote and just make the best decision that you you possibly can. Well, I know it seems like we're just getting started, but we're going to put a pin in the conversation for now because, yeah, we do have a lot more to tackle, but we're not going to take up your entire, I don't know, next hour or so um, with this podcast. So um, we're going to put a pin. Like I said, we're going to pick up this conversation again next week. Maybe take this break as an opportunity to, I don't know, share this with a friend um, so that they can join in the conversation next week when we release that one. But either way, looking forward to it. And I hope you guys join us for that.